Hey everybody, I'm Ashley and welcome to this month's edition of The Dollar Club, our opportunity to give just $1 and see the amazing things that can happen when we all do good together. This month, we're sitting down with Abby and Tyler King. Abby and Tyler have been going to Crosspoint for several years now and over the summer experienced an unimaginable tragedy. Abby and Tyler, thanks for joining us today. Uh, before we jump in um, to what's been happening in your life, why don't you go ahead and share a little bit about your family and whatever you want to sure. share. Yeah, we um, are from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we met when we were 15 in high school. So high school sweethearts. We have been in Nashville for about eight years now. So this has really been home. And we have two boys, Bennett and Knox. Summer, everything kind of changed in your world. Um, it did. We were going back to Minneapolis for my sister's wedding. We hosted a joint bachelor-bachelorette kind of last hurrah. We were wrapping everything up, and Tyler and my brother-in-law went to walk one of the members of my sister's bridal party to the car. That night, I guess a gang fight broke out, and a stray bullet hit Tyler in the face. My sister said, there's been a shooting, and I, I knew it was Tyler. I just knew, and I collapsed, but God said he's gonna be okay. Overnight, he had had a catastrophic stroke. Tyler couldn't move the right side of his body, and the doctor said he will not speak again, he will not walk again, he will not comprehend anything. If he survives, he'll be in a nursing home forever. And at that point, Tyler was in a coma for a while, and Tyler squeezed my hand and like shook his head no and was moving his leg, and the doctor looked and he goes, I guess he's a fighter. I was like, yeah, he is. <laughs> Where did you see just God move? There was a moment where things were looking better. We were about to go to rehab, and there had been an emergency with Tyler's trach. He was bleeding out to death, and when they sat me down, they said, if Tyler survives this, he probably won't, but if he does, we have to reroute his main artery that's never been done at this hospital before. And the night before, I had been praying, and the Lord so clearly said Tyler will tell his story. So we were on our knees praying at 4 a.m., my mom and their pastor and I, yeah. and the Holy Spirit, man, he came through. Yeah. The doctor came in and said he's gonna be okay. You transferred then to, to a rehab yeah, facility in Chicago. In Chicago. Mm -hmm. You were traveling back and forth, so how, how was that? <laughs> that was hard. Yeah. That was hard. The boys were falling apart at home. I think you hear of people learning to walk and talk again and do all these things, and you're like, oh, cool, good for them, but you're in it, and you're like, whoa. He worked his butt off, and Knox keeps yeah. saying, this is how superheroes are made. Yeah. <laughs> what does life look like now? We've had to do pretty extensive renovations to make our home handicapped accessible, and we're so thankful that we're able to do it, but it has been hard. Just the daily challenges of living differently now, learning to communicate in a different way, and Tyler started pretty intensive rehab four days a week, but still doing all the normal things you have to do. How are you making all this work right now? You know, financially, and those medical bills just astronomical. I wasn't working at all for about four months. I was on an unpaid leave, just kind of wrapping our head around everything. Now I'm back part-time. I want to go full-time, but we're not sure when that will be yet. But because of the people around us, we've been able to get by. 
What are you believing for in prayer? Like, what are you standing on? We want people to pray alongside us with the confidence in the Lord that He can fully restore Tyler's mind, body, everything. God said He's going to be okay. I don't know what okay looks like, but God is not done. We had this moment when Tyler got home where I'm like, is God telling you anything? What's He saying to you? Is He saying He's fully healing you? Because that's what He's telling me, you know? And you were like, no. I'm like, wait, so are you saying God's not healing you? And you're like, no. And I said, you've surrendered this, haven't you? And Tyler, you said, yes. And I said, so if you never walk or talk again, God has a purpose. And you said, yes. So we stand on that. Your faith, you know, has, has got you this far. And I know that God keeps on adding to you. And, and the courage you've shown has been, been so amazing. God just kept telling me, I'm writing this story. You cannot compare your life to anybody else's. I am writing this story. And you continue to improve every day. It's wild to see what's happened. We cannot deny God. The Lord's hand has been on us this whole time. Hi, guys. Hey, Ashley. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Abby, Tyler, Hi. thank you for sitting down with us. Yeah. Thank you guys for sharing your story. I am so blown away by your faith, the way that you are trusting God and just saying, God, I know you're gonna, you're gonna heal Tyler mm -hmm. and tell his story. Mm -hmm. And so we're just so grateful that you guys would sit down and share your story with us. And so as you know, we have something called the Dollar Club, yeah. where once a month we ask everybody in the church to throw in an extra dollar, pull that money together, find a need in the community that needs to be filled and go fill it. And so we wanted to come alongside you guys in the way that we know that we can. And so we have a check for you for $20,000 just to help with medical bills, because we know there's a lot of them. Abs has finished this renovation. Well, we have another check for you. Um, this check is for $10,000 to help you with the renovations, everything that you need to do to make your house more accessible for Tyler. Thank you. And for your family. Thank you. We're just excited to share how God's working. And he is. He is. In incredible ways. Wow. Wow. You're not. That was not. Wow. Well, Thank you. Yeah. Well, we love you guys. Thank you. And um, we're praying for you and with you and just Thank grateful you. we can walk alongside you. So It's just incredible. We felt very loved. There yeah. hasn't been a minute where we haven't felt loved, that's for sure. Abby and Tyler, we just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing your story with us. Your faith is inspiring. Um, Bennett and, and Knox, uh, and you guys are awesome. And, uh, and we, are, we are so glad that you're part of our church family at Bellevue. And, um, and Pastor Lee, thank you for helping share that story. And Abby, you didn't ask for anything other than you said, I want people to pray with us with faith and confidence that God is healing and will heal and restore Tyler and his mentally and physically and his speech. And, uh, and we want to come alongside you and pray with you today as a, as a church. So um, if you've got somebody that you know, you can grab their hand. You can hold on. If you somebody you don't know, you can, still, you can grab their hand if they want to hold your hand. And uh, but we want to we come together in, in faith and just in believing 
believing with you that, uh, that God has already worked miracles and he's going to continue to work in that way. And so just give you a moment just to whisper your prayer. Jesus, we believe. We believe that you are here. We believe that you are present. We believe that you are sovereign, that you are full of love and full of grace, and that you are a God of compassion, and that you comfort us in our afflictions so that we can comfort others. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are working. Thank you, God, in the ways that you've already worked in Tyler's life to bring about healing. We thank you, God, that he is, he is learning to walk and that he is making progress, and we would pray for continued progress. God, we, we believe and we know that you can heal in a moment, and we believe and we know that sometimes you heal over time. We are praying for your healing, for your touch. We thank you for their faith. God, we pray that you continue to increase. We pray that you continue to use their story, that you would get glory in the way that you've gotten glory today. God, I pray that you would strengthen them in their hearts, and God, that they would continue to see love poured out through your body. But Jesus, today, we join with them and pray for supernatural healing. We thank you for good doctors. We thank you for great hospitals. We thank you for, for wonderful medical care. We pray that you would even go above and beyond that, and they would see you move in a miraculous, continue miraculous way towards wholeness, mentally, physically, wholeness. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 I love you, church. It's those moments where we can come together and we can pray like that. I'm going to tell you, we had no idea when we were putting in today, putting things together today, that as the Dollar Club story was being told, that it would be Tyler's story. And uh, the team, as they were putting that and preparing that, they had no idea that the message that we were going to teach from, the scripture we're going to teach from in the book of Matthew is a story of some friends who brought a paralytic to Jesus. And so those two things just came together today. And I'm just believing that God, there are things that God wants to say um, to you, that God has brought all of this together. So there are things that he wants to speak in to your life. And, uh, and so our hearts are open and we're asking God to move in our lives. And we're in this series, Take Courage. Look at these moments and these conversations when Jesus says to people, take courage. And uh, I believe that there are places in all of our lives where we need to take courage and take a step. And um, there's a scripture in Proverbs. It says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. And here's the thing about that is none of us know when the day of adversity is going to come. None of us know when the time of adversity is going to come. And so we all need friends like that. We all need family like that. We need friends that are like family. We need community around us. And that's why groups matter so much. That's why we do groups at Crosspoint to help make a big church smaller so that we can have that, those friends and that, that spiritual family that in that time of need. But not just, not just that we'd receive in a day of adversity, but we were designed in a way that we'd be able to experience that as a part of life. We're made for community, and, uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I remember when I moved to Nashville, and, and Rhea and I, our family, we didn't know many people in this town, and so came to, I met a guy named Chip Dodd, and we were eating tacos over in Germantown, and we were, uh, we were eating some tacos, and, and, and I remember we were talking about the complexities of leadership and, and loneliness and building community, and Chip told me, he said, he said go for six, and I'm thinking, tacos? Like, that's a bold move. Like, that is a, but six tacos. Some of you are like, I got that, no problem. But like, I was like, 
Six targets? He said, no, no, six friends. He said, go for six. He said, I want you to go, go for six. He said, and these will be the people that carry your box. These will be the people that one day, when you die, when you leave this world, that these will be the people who carry that box and carry you. And they'll weep in that moment, not because you're gone, but they'll weep for the memories that were shared, the life that was given, the laughter that you had. He said, they'll weep because of what you experienced together. He says, go for six. He said, You'll, you might find five, maybe four, probably three, could find two, could be just one, but go for six. And, and that shaped me in that moment early on in a new city of going, I want to find, want to find six. But it takes courage. It takes courage to build friendships. It takes courage to build relationships. It takes courage to take that, to take that step. And we, we desire it like we desire it, and we long for it and we want it. But you don't drift into community. We don't drift into community. It, it takes perseverance and it takes patience and it, it takes a continuing over and over to pursue to find those relationships, but it's something that we all long for because it's something we were all made for. I, uh, when I was in Malta a few weeks back, I, was, I would go work out early in the morning while my son Bolton, 13-year-old, he was still in the hotel room, and I would, I would sneak out early in the morning, and I'd go for a run. And I remember one day I, I went for a run, and it would be early enough where there were other people that were out. It was like 6.30, and there were people who were out that were walking, and there was like this, this kind of this walkway, if you will, that went along the Mediterranean uh, Sea, and, and I would be out running on that, on that pathway, and, uh, and there would be other people that would be out there, and I was just kind of out, do a little out and back. And as I was coming back, I, I came upon this, um, this man, this beautiful run. I came across this, this, this man, though, that was, that was walking. He looked like, you know, older guy. He looked like he was in his 70s. And he was dressed like what you would expect a European man, like if he was cast for a movie, a European man in his 70s. He had the flat cap and the long coat and the scarf on. And he was just walking. And as he's walking, I'm coming behind him. And I see this younger guy that's like in his 20s headed toward him. And he's in an Adidas tracksuit. And he is like, he's in a full-on run. And the older man, he's like, he's walking like in this kind of brisk pace. He's kind of got a good clip going. And as he's going, the other guy, and I'm watching, I'm going, they're going to collide. Like, I'm going to see an accident right here on the walkway. And I'm like, this young guy and this older man, they're going to collide. And so I'm watching. They got my attention to see what happens. And they get up like a foot from each other, and they both go, ah. And I'm like, I did not see that coming. <laughs> Full on Hulk Hogan flex. And they just, they both flex. Ah. And then they just smile. And then they just go in and give, give each other a big hug. And I'm watching this happen. And something's happening inside of me as I, as I see that. And I, the older man goes and whispers something in the younger man's ear. And the younger man, they kind of laugh. And then they just go on about their way. They just keep going. I'm like, what in the world was that? <laughs> My next thought was, how do I get one of those? Like, I'm like, I began to wonder, like, what would happen if I went up to the older man and went, ah, would he go, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Is he going to mace me? I don't know what's going to happen. But like, I want him to whisper some Maltese wisdom in my ear. Like, I want, like, I'm like, I want to have, I want to get the hug. And I was just aware, like in that moment, as I kept going, I was like, man, there was this wave of loneliness that came over me. I mean, I realize I'm 5,000 miles away, and I realize that my, my son is up in the hotel room, and I can go see him, and I could FaceTime somebody if I wanted to, but there was this longing inside of me, like, I want a relationship like that. Like, I want that multi-generational, like, blessing. I think we all do. I think it's something primal inside of us that's been placed inside of us that we long for community. We long for relationship. Like, we want to get the blessing. We want somebody to, to bless us. We want to experience Something like that in relationship. And I believe it's because we were made for it. 
Let's say it this way. We were made from community and for community. We were made from community and we were made for community. At the core of the Christian faith is the belief in the Trinity, that we have one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If it's hard to wrap your mind around, it's because it's a mystery. It's because his ways are higher than always. I don't want a, a God that I can fully comprehend in my own mind. God is bigger than what I can understand. And scripture teaches us that he is one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What's important about that, that belief and that, that truth is that, is that God is community. There is eternal community in the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There is a, God exists in this perfect love relationship with one another, self-existent. He, does he, does he, he doesn't need us. God didn't make us because he needs us. There is, there is this relationship that goes on Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Spirit. And they love one another. And so God created us for his glory so that we could be invited in, so that we could experience that. There is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That is like the, that's the ultimate small group right there. That's the OG small group. This existed for all of eternity and will exist for all of eternity. And God created us so that we could be in relationship with him. We were created from community and we were created for community. When God created the world and created everything and spoke it into existence, there's this beautiful activity that's going on as he's just creating and he's designing. And you go back and you read the account in Genesis. He's like, it is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. And he's pronouncing everything that he made is good. And then there's one day where he says, it is not good. He says, it is not good for us to be alone. And then he forms Eve. And creates marriage, but it's more than marriage going on. It's friendship, it's relationship, it's community, it's togetherness, it's oneness with other people. Community is, is God's design. We were made from community and we were made for community. And the scripture says that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. That this is the picture, like we were made to walk with God and to walk with one another. And they walked with God. There's this, there's this book that was written um, back, in the, back in 1979. It was written by a Japanese theologian, Kosuke Koyama. He wrote a book called Three Mile an Hour God. He says, three mile an hour God, he says, the pace of God. He said, that's the pace of God because three miles an hour is the walking pace. It's the pace of relationship. And we live in a 70 mile an hour world. And three miles an hour is the pace of love. It's that we would walk with God, that we would walk with one another. We were made for that. And Adam and Eve walked with God until one day they didn't. They walked with God until one day they sinned against God. God said, we're going this direction. And they were like, nope, we're going to go this direction. And they rejected God. They rebelled against God. They went their own way. And it was at that moment when sin entered the picture that things became broken. That we live in a broken, fallen world filled with tragedy and with violence and with hatred. Brokenness. Injustice, it all goes back to that moment in the garden when Adam and Eve decided, God, we're going to do our own thing. They essentially gave God the bird. They're like, we're going to go do our own thing. And what is, 
What is amazing about God is at that moment, he, just, he didn't just reboot the, you know, just power off, like reboot the universe and just go and do it over again. God keeps pursuing them. God keeps pursuing us. And he goes for the hug. In a world that gave him the bird, God goes in for the hug. This is the love of God. And this is the world that we live in. I mean, you might be sophisticated enough that you don't give the bird physically, but we can all do it in our heart and our mind to other people. This, this goes back to the fall. We were created to walk with God and we were created to walk with other people, but brokenness enters and God makes a way for us to be made right with him and for us to be made right with others. And the plan is that he sends his son. And Jesus, the only one who has not sinned, who did not sin, he came and he gave his life for us. Have you ever forgiven somebody? Have you ever had somebody wrong you? Maybe something they said, maybe something they did. Anybody had anybody wronged them before? Anybody? Yep. And, and in that moment, you know, if you've had somebody wrong and you've forgiven them, you know that somebody has to pay the price for the sin. And what I want you to see about Jesus is he's the one who pays the price. We have a debt against God because of our sin. And Jesus is the one who paid that debt to bring forgiveness so that we can walk with God again. He's the only one who has not sinned. Around here we said nobody's perfect except for one. It's Jesus. In fact, when you look at the scripture, when you look in the scriptures, it tells us that, uh, that, that he, he did not sin, but that he was tempted in every way. He was tempted. Mark chapter 1, verse 12 tells us that, that the spirit immediately, this is after his baptism, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals. I read this, and I don't know that I'd ever noticed this before, that he was with the wild animals. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days by Satan, it says that he was with the wild animals. You ever seen that before? It was like God brought him pets. In the Judean wilderness, he brought him a wild labradoodle. I mean, so Jesus, he's got, he's got pets. And I was thinking about this. This is one of God's gifts in the wilderness of life that we would have pets. That pets would be a gift. And some of you, you've experienced wilderness seasons in your life and you know the gift of a pet. But what I want you to see is after the 40 days, somebody, somebody just heard from God, go get a pet. Now, it's not what I'm about to do, hang with me. What he does after the 40 days in the wilderness, after God brings him those animals, he goes and he gets 12 friends. See, what I would say this way is that pets are good and pets are a gift of God, but we need more than pets in our lives. We need other people. And so Jesus goes and gets a small group. He finds 12 friends. And he doesn't do this because he's emotionally insecure. Jesus does this because he's human. Because we, all, we were made to walk in communion with the Father and we were made for relationships with other people. And so Jesus goes and he calls 12 disciples to follow him. Essentially what he says, he's, when he says, follow me, he says, let's go on a walk. He said, let's just go on a walk. And so they did. They walked with him for, for three years, three miles an hour. They walked with him and they saw him do signs and wonders and miracles and they experienced the closeness and the connection. And sometimes he was really hard on them and sometimes, sometimes they just really just encouraged them and just helped them move forward. He taught them things and he, they were, John says this, he said, we have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only full of grace and truth. John was like, there's never been anybody like Jesus that had such grace and truth. And he's like, we've seen the glory of God. Like we saw, we saw God with skin on, with flesh on. We saw Jesus and we were with him. And we were right up close. He dwelt among us. The word made flesh. 
And Jesus called them close. And man, can you imagine how much courage it took to follow Jesus? Like just to leave everything behind and to follow him? You didn't, like you just didn't know. You didn't know, you didn't know where he's going to take you the next day. You just wake up. Where are we going today? And Jesus would tell you. He didn't have a real long agenda for the day. It's just do whatever Jesus says to do. And, but what they discovered is they could trust him. Can I tell you, it still takes courage to follow Jesus. He will still lead you places you haven't been, to see things you haven't seen, to do things you've never done. It takes courage. It's why he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to be a comforter. You know why the Holy Spirit is called a comforter? Because he expects that he would lead us. He's going to lead us to do things that are uncomfortable. And when things are uncomfortable, you're outside your comfort zone. You need a comforter. He's like, I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you a comforter that's going to help you. And I just had to step back and go, okay, how long has it been? And maybe the question is for you. How long has it been since God asked you to do something that was uncomfortable? How long has it been since you've done something in following Jesus that was uncomfortable? And if it's been a long time, maybe the question is, am I really following? Am I made in the image of God or have I made God in my image? Am I following Jesus? He's going to lead you to do uncomfortable things, but it's in that space outside of your comfort zone. That's the miracle zone. That's where miracles happen. Today, we're going to look at the story of some friends. I think it's one of the best small group stories in history and certainly in the scriptures. Some friends who, uh, who they have courage and they do something. They're expecting a miracle. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 9. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there with me. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to pick up in verse 1. And we're going to walk through this passage kind of verse by verse. We'll walk through slowly together. We'll pick up in verse 1. It says, getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. Any, any lake people in the house? Any lake people all over campus? Any lake people? Okay, we got some lake people. Jesus was a lake person. Jesus, Jesus did most of his ministry on the lake there at the Sea of Galilee. And so he's been out doing ministry around the, around the lake. And what we see from Matthew chapter 8, he makes it clear that Jesus has authority, that Jesus has authority over disease and over leprosy and over fevers and over storms and over disciples and over disasters and over, over demons, that Jesus has authority. But it says that he came to his own city. Now, his own city is Capernaum. Capernaum is, was kind of home base for Jesus. That's Peter's hometown. And so Jesus goes back to Capernaum, and we learn from Matthew chapter 8 that Jesus didn't have a house. It says that the, that the birds have nests and foxes have dens, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What that means is that Jesus couch surfed. It means Jesus stayed. He didn't have a mortgage, and he didn't, he didn't have a lease. Jesus stayed with. Jesus depended on the hospitality and the generosity of others. He inhabited the hospitality. He still shows up where he's wanted. And so people open up their home. And most scholars believe, since Capernaum was Peter's hometown, that this is Peter's house that he's staying at. And so Jesus goes back to his hometown. He goes back to Capernaum, and he's teaching there. And it was there that, that people start coming around because word's getting out about what Jesus can do, about what he has authority over. And so word's spreading. So then Mark chapter 2, verse 2, he tells us, Mark tells us, he says, They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Now, this was pre-COVID. There was no social distancing going on. People were piled in the house. People were packed in the house. And because people want to be where God is moving. 
People want to be where Jesus is. People want to be where, where the activity of God, the movement of God, the move of God is taking place. Back in Wales, in the Welsh Revival in 1904, it says that people were so packed. There was, a, there was a, a young coal miner named Evan Roberts. He was 26, and God was moving, using his life. And so people would be so packed in the church. He said this one church that they went to, it was so packed that in order to get to the platform that Evan Roberts had to walk on the shoulders of people in the congregation. Imagine that. It's so packed in. People want to be where God was moving. And in that revival in Wales, and you go back and look at it historically, there were 100,000 people who came to Christ in six months. Fill up Nissan Stadium, fill up Ascend, fill up Bridgestone. That many people come to Christ. This was a move of God in six months. But people wanted to be where God was moving. That's what's going on here. Jesus is in the house, and people want to be where he is. And Luke chapter 5, verse 18, tells us what happens next. It says, Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. I want you to think about these guys. Think about these guys. And so these guys are going, man, Jesus is back in town. And Jesus is in town. That means that our friend, if we get our friend who's paralyzed, if we get him with Jesus, Jesus can do something about that. And so the faith that it took them to go, and, and perhaps these were the guys that, that helped him every single day because there was, there was no Medicaid. And it, it, he had to, this, this paralyzed man had to depend fully on the generosity and benevolence and compassion of other people. So they would take him to the gates every single day where he would beg for other people to help care for him. And so these are the guys who go, well, maybe we can carry him. Maybe we can get him to Jesus. And perhaps if we get him to Jesus, Jesus can heal him. And so the faith that it took for them to go and get him. Now think about being this, this guy. Think about this person where, where his, his body didn't, didn't respond to, like he had no control over his situation, over his circumstances. There were things that he wanted and things that he desired that he couldn't make happen. So think about being in his place. And there was a lot that he didn't have and a lot that he couldn't do, but what he did have, there were a lot of people that didn't have, and that was four friends. He had his, I don't know if he had his six, but he had his four. And these guys, they show up at his house, and they say, hey, we're, we're going. He's like, are we going to the gates? They're like, no, we're not going to the gates. We're going to Peter's house. And so they pick him up, and Capernaum's, not a very large town, but they're carrying him. I just imagine as they're carrying him through town, I imagine what these four friends are feeling when they're carrying him. They're feeling kind of excitement and a little bit of nervousness, just not, know, not knowing what's going on next. And I wonder if they felt some urgency. Like, man, we got to get, are we going to be able to get in? Is there going to be a seat? Is there going to be a place for us to get? Are we going to, is Jesus still going to be there? I imagine them kind of like in a two-minute drill. You know, the, the last two minutes, they, I imagine they've got this sense of urgency. Like, we got to get to Jesus. We got to move there. And I was like, man, the temptation is let's move fast, but they couldn't move fast. You know why? Because they're carrying somebody. Have you noticed in life that when you're caring for other people, it slows you down? They wanted to go 70 miles an hour, but they couldn't go 70 miles an hour because they were carrying somebody. They had to go three miles an hour. That's the speed of love. There's a pace of results in life, and there's a pace of relationships. And some of us live our lives so much at the pace of results that we never slow down to care for others. When, you have, when, when we carry other people and when we care for other people, we have to slow down. Have you ever been carried on a stretcher at 70 miles an hour? That's not fun for them or you. Let's slow down. Miracles don't happen in a hurry. 
Neither does love. Neither does listening. Neither does community. Neither does relationship. Doesn't happen in a hurry. Slow down. Three miles an hour. So they're carrying this guy, not, not knowing what's going to happen, going three miles an hour in a 70-mile-an-hour world. And they finally get there, and it's like pancake pantry. The line is out the door. And so one of the guys like, let's go to Waffle House. Now, I mean, there's just, they're like, they can't, they can't get in. But then one of the guys has an idea, and the idea starts with, bro. Any idea that starts with, bro, is either going to be really good or really bad. It's either going to be really, really good and a miracle's going to happen or somebody's going to have to post bail. Like there's this going to be. And so in that moment, they had, somebody had an idea. They're like, bro, here's what we can do. You know the stairs that are going up the side? We can go up those stairs and we can carry him up those stairs. I bet that guy's laying there going, hmm. Like we can carry him up and then we'll get to the roof. And then what we can do is we can dig through the roof. You know, Peter, you know his roof. We'll just dig through the roof. One guy's like, dig through the roof. The other guy's like, bro, Jesus is a carpenter. He can fix it. <laughs> and so they're like, all right, man, keep going. And then we'll dig through the roof, and then we're going to lower him down. That guy's like, mm-mm. They're like, no, we're going to lower him down. And this, they voted, and it was four to one. And so, like, that's what they got. so they go, and they carry him up the side, and they, carry, they climb the walls. They get to the roof. They start digging through the roof. And then they, they start digging through. And I, I was going through, I was thinking about this, this story. And I'm just like, man, think about being that guy. You're, you're, you're laying there and like you're completely vulnerable. All eyes on you. I think about the people that are standing in the house. They start seeing like dust start coming down. Tiles start falling. They look up and they see four people looking down. <laughs> and then they start lowering down their friend. Verse 2. And they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. Man, what was this moment like? They climb the walls, they tear through the roof, they lower their friend. And he's down there at the feet of Jesus and Jesus looks at him and says, take courage. Jesus knew his anxiety. He knew he was nervous. Jesus said, take courage. But he says, son. There's only a couple places where Jesus calls people son or daughter. One of them was when he healed the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years. The other was this man who was paralyzed. And I thought it's interesting that Jesus starts with identity. In other words, your identity is not your disability. Jesus was aware of the suffering. He was aware of the pain. He was aware of the duration. He said, your disability is not your identity. You are a child of God, made in the image of God. I see you, son. He starts with his identity, and then he says, take courage. Take courage. Take heart. And he says, your sins are forgiven. See, this is the gospel. The gospel is that we get the hug, and we don't have to flex. We live in a world says you got to flex before you get the hug. That the hug is based on what you do and what you've done and what you can do. On your list of accomplishments, you got to flex to get the hug. But the gospel is that God goes in for the hug. You don't have to flex. He loves you as you are. And he says to this man, your sins are forgiven. Now I'm thinking about that guy. 
Like, how did he receive that? Man, he heard the words he longed to hear that his sins are forgiven. I think about the friends. The friends are looking, going, well, that wasn't exactly what we were thinking of, Jesus. Like, that wasn't exactly what we were going for. Like, his legs, Jesus, I don't know if you saw, but his legs can't work. How did the religious people hear it? And it says, and some of the scribes said to themselves, this fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? The religious leaders, they're saying, only God can forgive sins. Who does this man think he is? God, and Jesus is like, yep. And he calls him out. Verse six, he says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, get up and take up your bed and go home. And he got up and he went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and they glorified God who had been given such authority to men, who had given such authority to men. By proving that Jesus can heal the paralytic, he is proving that he can forgive sin. The forgiveness of sin is the greater miracle because it speaks to the greater need. The reality is that in this world, there is suffering and in this world, there is suffering that breaks the heart of God and Jesus came to make all things new and one day all things will be as they should be. But the greater miracle, the greater need is for the forgiveness of sin. Because our separation from God eternally is what Jesus came to address. He came so that we could live with that hug from God. So you could say it, you could say it this way, that forgiveness of sins is the greatest miracle because it's our greatest need. It's a scripture in, in 2 Corinthians chapter four. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Therefore, we do not get discouraged. Therefore, we do not lose courage. Though outwardly, we're wasting away. We're wasting away. Outwardly, we're all wasting away. You can nip it. You can tuck it. You can Botox it. You can, you can CrossFit it. You can HGH it. You can spray tan it. You can do all the things. But outwardly, we're wasting away. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Our greatest need is that we would be made right with God, that we experience inward renewal, that we'd be made one with him. That's our eternal need. And that man was healed that day as proof that Jesus could take care of forgiveness. And the man picked up his mat and he walked. I think about that. The people wouldn't make room for him before, but they made room for him to walk out. I wonder how he walked out. Had his mat. Like, I just wonder like, what, that day, what that day was like. And I wonder how his friends felt because there's a scripture and there's a verse in here, verse two. Let me, re, let me roll back to this. Verse two, it says, and they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed, seeing their faith. Whose faith? The faith of the friends. Jesus saw the faith of the friends. He saw their faith. It's plural. He saw their faith. And so he moved in a way that was miraculous because he saw the faith of the friends. And I read that and I was like, I want friends like that. Do you want friends like that? Friends who will tear through roofs, friends who will climb walls. Friends who will vandalize houses or not. People who, friends who will do whatever it takes to get you to the feet of Jesus. Do you want friends like that? I want friends like that. Do you want to be a friend like that? Community is not a commodity to be consumed. It's the gift that we give. Who is your one? Who are your four and who's your one? Who's the person 
that you're like, I'm going to grab a corner of their mat and help get them to Jesus. Because what they need, maybe people who are going through physical suffering or maybe people who are going through mental, emotional, or spiritual suffering or losses in life, you say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. It takes courage. It takes courage to begin friendship with your four. It takes courage to go and find a one. It takes courage. Let me close with this, uh, this story. It was the last day that we were in Malta, and, uh, and I was like, um, I'm going to try to get a run in. But we had to get an early flight, so it was like 4.30 in the morning. And, uh, and I was like, that's the early time for run. So I'm gonna wait till about five. It wasn't any better. Thing about like 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning is that like you don't know if other people, if their day is just ending or their day is beginning when you're in the city. And, uh, and so I was out for a run and I, I came down this one street and I passed in front of this big, huge Orthodox church. And there was this guy that was out in front of this church and he was, he, was, um, he had you know, crossed, his, crossed himself and he was, he was mumbling. I could see his words. And I was like, man, this guy's praying. I was like, man, I'd, I'd love to stop running because that sounds like fun. I was like, I wonder what, like, if I just pray with him. I felt this prompt to pray with him. So I went over and I was like, man, can I pray with you? And it's still kind of dark outside. I said, man, can I, can I pray with you? He said, yeah. So what's your name? And he said, Christian. Said, That's a good name. He said, it's Christmas because it was an Orthodox church. It was January 7th. And so their Christmas is later than ours. And so it's Christmas. I was like, man. And I was like, Merry Christmas. And uh, I said, man, can I pray with you? And it was one of those moments where I just I put my hand on his, I said, can I put my hand on your, on your chest? And he said, yeah. I just started praying. And it was one of those moments where there was praying in the praying. Have you ever had those, like, there, just, there was praying, and God just began to lead, lead in that prayer and pray for him to receive the Holy Spirit, pray for him, just the love of God over his life, pray for God's blessing over him. I don't know all the things that I prayed, but, uh, but I, as we finished praying, um, said amen, and he looked at me and he went, he gave me a hug. I was like, I got my Malta hug. But he was like in his 20s, so I realized like that makes me the old man. <laughs> but I hugged him, and it was one of those moments I was like, I'm just going to hug until he lets go. And we hugged probably longer than my intuition said we should. But then he let go. And I was like, I'll see you. And I kept running. I was on that run, and I was wondering about Christian's life and all of what he was going through, and I was like, man, I don't I wonder if I'll see him again. Like, I wonder if he'll be there when I do the out and back. And I came back and I saw him and he was just sitting there and he was looking up at the church. He was still sitting there, just kind of like, and it'd been a while. It'd been about 15 minutes. He's still sitting there looking up at the, the building. I was like, man, you all right? He said, you believe that? I said, believe what? He said, all that. That I prayed? He said, yeah. I said, yeah, I absolutely, I believe he was even with all this BS going on in the world. You believe all that? I said, I do. And I believe that for you. He said, how do you believe? And I got to share my testimony, share my story with him about how God took me from a place, being far from him, brought me in a relationship. And just encouraged him. I just encourage you to read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And just pray, Jesus, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? I said, but Christian, I think he already has. I think this is God's way of revealing his love for you. And we prayed together and we exchanged numbers. And, uh, and I've just, like, I've wanted to see Christian. You know what Christian needs? Christian needs Jesus. Christian needs the Holy Spirit. But you know what else Christian needs? Christian needs a small group. 
Christian needs some loyal, committed people that'll do whatever it takes to help him grow in faith. Christian needs that. And you know what you need, Christian? You need the same thing. You can't live this life alone. You were made from community and made for community. And so I want to lead in a prayer today for three groups of people. One who would say, you know what? I need some friends like that. And we would pray for that. Some would say, you know what? Maybe my life has become insulated and I need to care for the one. We'll pray for that. And then we'll close with a prayer for those who would say, you know what, today I need forgiveness. I need that miracle in my life to be made one with God. So let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who gives the hug because of what Christ did on the cross for us, because of the forgiveness that's been given. You lean in for the hug. And thank you that you made us for relationships. So I pray right now for those who would say, you know what, I need, I need four, I need five, I need six, I need some friends. Would you pray for me, Kevin? If that's you, would you just lift up your hands? Say, I'm looking for some new friends. Father, I thank you. I thank you that, that you know a lot of people. And I thank you for the gift of friendship. I thank you for the way I've experienced that in my life and the way you've met loneliness with the grace and with the gift of some friends. God, I pray that for my brothers and my sisters who have lifted their hand. I pray that you give them the courage to take a next step, to get in a group, pull some friends close, and experience life-giving community. God, I pray for those right now who, who have a one, even right now, a name or a face of somebody who's, who needs them to pick up a corner of their mat. If a name or a face or somebody that that God's put them on your heart to bring them to Jesus, to get them to Jesus. If that's true for you, if you've got a one, would you just lift up your hand? God, I pray that you would give, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you give next steps? Would you lead and would you guide? Would you give comfort? And would you give courage? And would you give calling? God, I pray that they would see how they're not alone in this, but you would bring a couple others come along with them to, to bring them to Jesus in prayer and to do whatever it takes to get them to your presence. God, would you show up in big ways and would you work miracles? And then last, I pray for those who need forgiveness. Where today you want to begin to walk with God. You want to receive the hug from heaven. You want to be made right with him. If that's you today, would you just lift up your hand? I want to lead you in a prayer. Say, I need God's forgiveness in my life. I want to hear those words from Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. Would you just lift your hand? Okay. Father, I thank you that you still forgive sins. I thank you that you make us whole, that you give us new life. If, that, if you raise your hand today, you just say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I receive your grace. I receive your love. I receive your mercy. 
Thank you for saving me. So God, I pray that as a church, that we would live at a three mile an hour pace in a 70 mile an hour world. And that through the way that we slow down in love, that an unbelieving world would see how good you are and would experience your love through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. We're going to continue the series, Take Courage, next week. If you want to find out more about groups at the Info Center in the lobby, if you need prayer today, we'll have a couple pastors and friends down front. We'll see you next week.